Clustered conversations. Clustered conversations. By Weka. All right. Hi there. Welcome to Clustered Conversations. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we've got Tyler Nelson here from uh, Keoxia with us. Is it Keoxia? Keoxia? How do you guys pronounce it? Keoxia. I, I usually say uh, like an old Yakuza gangster. Keoxia. Uh, Keoxia. But it's, uh, it's uh, formerly Toshiba. So yes. it's a, just a new name on a very, very old and very known product that's worked well for a long time. So I'm trying to see, uh, well, what have you done to get yourself here? What, where'd you start off, Tyler? I mean, how did you get into storage? Why is storage something you, uh, you gravitated towards? I started off as a desktop support admin. I mean, I guess back in the day, originally I programmed basic when I was like nine years old on a TI 99. So, you know, first experience was five and a half inch floppies. So I've been (laughs) saving data for a long, long time. Uh, I moved from desktop support into windows servers and virtualization. And once you get into virtualization, you get into sand. So we started, uh, I guess the first sand I touched was an IBM shark. And then, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, then from there, EVAs, uh, the EVA 8000, 8100, 8400 started deploying nice. large scale VM clusters on there. And then eventually into Kyoxia, I've been there, been with Toshiba slash Kyoxia for almost eight years wow. doing SSD, uh, a little bit of R&D, a little bit of like software dev and optimization to make software work better with SSDs, reduce write amp, those kind of things. And then the last two and a half years, I've been uh, basically doing demos and white papers. So my team nice. builds crazy things and tries to write papers about it. So <laughs> nice. uh, all storage focused. And that's, that's how we fun. met. That's a, that was a fun part of how we met. So um, I guess why the name change? I mean, when, the, when did the Kyoxia, I mean, I, I know you, you were part, you, you're not exactly at the, uh, the sea level making those decisions, but why, uh, why did they change the name from Toshiba to Kyoxia? Uh, it was licensing, frankly, once we were spun off as a separate company uh, and uh, purchased by a consortium, Bain Capital and others, we had the Toshiba name license for a year. So we went by TMA for a year and we had to come up with a new name. So everyone submitted name thoughts and concepts and we ended up picking uh, Kyoxia, which is technically Greek and Japanese glued together. Uh okay. It's, it's, it's value and memory. And so we bring value to memory is our, our kind of theme. And they took two words and glued them together. Nice. Well, I mean, we've uh, had really good luck with your stuff because I know a lot of our partners uh, put your drives into the servers that we run on top of. And I think we played yeah. with, the, was it the CX6? What was the? Uh, uh, CD6, CD6, I believe. CD6, CD6. Yeah. CD6. And we were getting some fantastic per drive performance off those guys. So it was, uh, it was fun to see the TLCs. Um, so I guess, what do you see as far as size and technology and, you know, chips designs? You know, I, there's been a lot of pressure on on uh, the, the, the supply chain out there, right? And drives have been one of the long leads on stuff. Um, and so some people are starting to lean towards QLC over TLC. And we're just trying to, you know, what is your thoughts on the whole world of storage of these days? I mean, you, you're closer to testing this stuff than we are. <laughs> I think a lot of that depends on which there's sort of two main verticals that we see, which would be your, your data center, your cloud type providers. And then on the other side, the enterprise grade stuff. So enterprise 
we're seeing a lot of people still holding on to SaaS, particularly server side. So server side, a 12 gig SaaS setup is still very fast. We have 24 gig SaaS now. I believe HP has the, the cards out and our PM6 and PM7 lines are 20, 24 gig SaaS. Extremely fast. NVMe, enterprise NVMe, high grade, kind of almost almost into that performance level. They're, they're, they're excellent performance. And so server side, we see that some storage arrays are still hanging on to that SaaS loop backend. So that market is not going away anytime soon. And especially on the value side, the smaller business, small enterprise, uh, the SaaS lines are going to live for quite a while. Everywhere else, we're starting to see everyone wants a high performance. Anybody that wants high performance is yeah. moving to NVMe and particularly direct attached NVMe. And the the size, the capacity ranges are are continue to creep up. Frankly, at this point, we used to see a lot of like 480 gig or 500 gig kind of range, 256. That is almost non-existent. Uh, and part of, part of that's due to die size. So the die are getting so big that it doesn't make any sense to trim it down to you can't get enough channels if you if you stack to stack enough die to get the, the channels to get the performance you, you you need a minimum capacity right so the, the smallest we ship right now is 960s so that's that's actually something we noticed uh way back about God, three years ago when i started working here is some of the the one terabyte drives they had decent read performance, but the write performance was was really poor because it seemed like they had limited number of channels. And as soon as we got to the three te- the three terabyte drives, is when we got to the the actual performing drives. So it was uh, I think that that might explain why, <laughs> not with yours, but with other people's because uh, you, you guys weren't uh, exactly yeah. out there with uh, the QXC drives yet. Yes, and when I started, we had drives, but we were not a, a major player. Now we're one of the larger drive manufacturers. Yeah, well, so you it's, it's a channels issue. Yeah, 3.84 is kind of the sweet spot. 3.84, 7.68. And then we see a lot of people, especially in the mid-tier, uh, you know, higher capacity, higher performance at the 15 tier. We have very little demand for 30. We build really? 30s in our CM series and in our PM. So our PM6 and our CM6 both come, and CM7 both come in 30 exactly. tear. Yeah. We Rebuild do time. not see volume on that due to, uh, I think people that are either afraid, I mean, I go back to my old VMware days. We used to not want to put a ton of VMs on host because you're like, oh, if one host goes down, what's my blast blast radius, right? The, the blast radius concept. Okay, one host went down and I lost 20 VMs. And now you have servers so big, you're like, oh, there's 140 VMs on this server. So it's it's an adjustment. And you go from like having six VMs to having 40. And that's like, whoa, 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 what's going to happen here? So I think a little bit of that is happening on the storage side where people are afraid to jump to 30 tear just because you end up with massive density per host. And you have to build extra capacity, you know, extra nodes to you don't want to lose very large volumes of data. Um, actually, I think enterprises don't lose data ever. That's uh, that's RG, RGE as we call it, a resume <laughs> yeah. generating event. <laughs> so yeah, we've uh, w- working with a, one customer who has a giant cluster. I mean, like they have hundreds of hosts in this cluster, and they're running almost exclusively fifteen terabytes on each system. 
So we got like, you know, 10, 15 terabyte drives over 160. It's a huge cluster. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of my newer customers as they're buying, they're buying the 15 terabyte drive. So people are getting more comfortable with it because uh, when I first started, we, it was 3.84 was everything. And then last year we saw a couple of seven, six, eights. And this year we're seeing 15 almost exclusively. And uh, we are leaning towards 30 because, uh, you know, our protection scheme within Weka allows them to be safe when they go to that size. So yeah, yeah. And especially the I mean, the performance of the drives now is such a point where even if you have you know fifteen or thirty terabyte drive, the, the time to rebuild is is really not as bad as certainly as it used to be back in the day when you were you know, maybe you could get a gigabyte per second to a drive and on a rebuild. And yeah, like fifteen terabyte at one gigabyte a second, that's gonna take forever. But now we're doing what four, five, seven, soon to be in the PCIe five space. How, how much, Tyler? So PCIe 5.0 max is out about 15. There we go. So, so <laughs> we're seeing consistent. Uh, we have our CM. You know, I have de- they send me all the dev samples. And like, okay, make make demos, build you know dev stuff. So I have drives with you know no labels on them. Where uh, my favorite is when it says working sample at the top, which is before we get to engineering and customer. Our our initial is working sample. So. Those those show up and it's like all right let's go have some fun let's try to try to play with this so we throw it in I I, I was able to get pretty consistent like fourteen point two thirteen point eight reads wow. uh, gigabyte per second of read so it's significant and the Gen five uh, to me the Gen five really back end is going to make a bigger difference as far as the networking side yeah, yeah it sounds the like problem is I mean if, if- PCIe Gen 5 is, is is going to be able to support drives that fast. And like, you know, a single drive is already more throughput than 100 gig Ethernet or InfiniBand can handle. Networking is going to need to catch up here because <laughs> even, even 400 gig, which is just kind of on like coming into its own right now and starting to be adopted. What, what PCIe 5 maybe next year, probably in the commercial space, we can actually like buy a server that has it. Potentially. What I hear with delays on, I, I believe Genoa is going to be out sooner. It'll be December-ish, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, you know, everybody talks about when they're going to release. And uh, the latest I've heard on the Intel side looks to be February or March from their public releases. Uh, they'll be shipping in volume by March, from what I understand. So... That will bring PCIe 5.0 to the server, which makes a 400 gig card actually make sense. And the problem, again, is going to be back to front. Because if you stack, uh, um, the big trend I'm seeing is moving to 1U. For years and years, we've had dual socket 2U over and over. That's what everybody deployed. ton of drive bays. And frankly, you can't get that out of the box. You do the math on a 100 gig card, it's 12 and a half gig a second, uh, gigabytes. So gigabit to gigabyte. Okay, if a single drive can read and write, even at PCIe Gen 4 speed, at seven gigabytes a second. Okay, so you can run two drives per 100 gig network card. You end up with a back to front bandwidth problem, right? Yep. Yep. And the number of PCIe lanes that are exposed to be able to actually plug in more and more network cards as you add more and more drives, right? To be able to actually extract the performance of those NVMEs. Right. So to you with 24 drives, you're never going to be able to have enough lanes to plug enough network cards to make that make sense. Yeah. At least from a performance standpoint, not from a, a density. If you just need, you know, all the petabytes in the world, yeah, yeah it makes, it makes sense and works. But if what you want to do is maximize the investment on those chips, 
in that flash to be able to extract the performance that they're capable of. That, that, yeah, it's interesting, the, the kind of oversubscription you can very quickly move into. Yes. The the other dynamic I see is the the processor. We've we've been dual proc every there's you know, there's always the, the quad CPU systems hanging out there, the the oddball yes. and a few one proc, but right now most of the servers shipped are dual proc and with the core count increase that we're gonna see, I believe Intel's gonna ship sixty. AMD's shipping planning to do ninety six from what I understand. Wow from what they've announced. So 96 on a single chip, it starts to become an issue of, do I need that? So I I can see it moving to a one U single socket as, as kind of the baseline. So we, uh, we, we have a new update with our um, software for where we can do multi backend containers. So let's say I have a system that has 20 drives. So now I can do one drive core per drive, so I can get a full seven gigs a second to each drive, and then I can do uh, n number twenty one compute cores, which will give me millions of IOPS, and then I can do eight front ends, and they're running in separate containers, so I can kill and change them on the fly, <laughs> and so we, that's a whole new architecture we have going on right now. So we can actually take advantage of those ninety six core systems pretty dang well now. Yeah, we've been seeing some really, really significant performance from test systems running that multi backend container where, you know, we've got, you know, what I think the last one we used was like 36 core processors and two of them. So, you know, fair number of fair number of potential cores to use. And I think we ended up using like 50, 58 of them or something like that. And we were doing, it was an eight or nine million read IOPS from a six node cluster, like six servers from a file system you know, nine million read IOP across we, across the clients. It was pretty uh, Bob screaming. and I played with this quite a bit, and I think we deployed a an early version of this because we were doing three three thirteen dot three. Yeah, we were doing an illegal version. Yes. <laughs> yes, and and doing multi core on before it was technically supported, and we did see the highest performance with a a three container setup. We had twelve drives per node, so we assigned four per container. Yep, we made a crazy looking thing. Now the new version actually you can do it without drive cores, which is four O lets me do it and actually make it cooler. I really want to play with four O. I don't have enough. I don't have six of the same system to to build with, but I'm I'm quoting yeah. it, if you will, uh, right are, now. So are they I'm close on enough? My way towards building a new Weka deployment. Yeah, Josh so, and I will hop in there and help you out in in a second because this this is the fun right. stuff for us. We love creating creating the uh, the the monsters. Oh yeah, I just picked up a new GPU box. So Ooh. now I've got Ooh. A100s in the lab to play with. So <laughs> nice. that's, that's GP- also, yeah, one of my favorite well, things about Weka. Uh, the RDMA stuff right now, I've gotten a little better on it with the uh, with, with Melmox switches. So, <laughs> and I just did it with Cisco switch at a customer, but we're doing RDMA to, TS- to SMB. So we got RDMA running to SMB for a customer doing eight gigs a second from a Windows client. On a single yeah. hundred gig, so that's not you know terminal performance. That's they've got one one line, but it's yeah. fast enough. And 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 SMB, that's kind of the that's the the really interesting part of that eight gig per second on on our POSIX agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that yeah, all day long. SMB, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah so I've seen good. SMB over RDMA being a becoming a thing, but I've never seen anyone deploy it. So that's a, that is quite interesting. Yeah, I got deployed in production right now, so it's kind of nice to see. And uh, yeah. we're also playing with multi-channel, a few other things, but 
it's it's different. It's uh it's not our agent, so we can't get the IOPS the same way. Simply because it, you know SMB and NFS both can't push IOPS the same way. But throughput wise, if you have a throughput need, it's fantastic to see. You know, take advantage of those NVMEs fully. Absolutely, right. nice large block read. Yep, <laughs> fun to see. My, my favorite feature for for with you guys is actually your uh, uh, GPU direct support. Uh, <laughs> modern workloads are using more and more gpus and you look at it and it's like okay i can do nfs for the for the gpu direct or i can do like there's there's not a lot of options and i like i start playing with the weka stuff it's like, okay i can do gpu workloads directly at line speed like if you're gonna pay for gpus you gotta feed them right you oh, want yeah. the throughput What's the point of buying very, very expensive GPUs if you can't keep enough bandwidth into them to actually make the workloads work? So uh, having the Weka FS integrated with GPU Direct, it pretend like the, the box thinks it's got a local file system. It tries to write direct, pops it right out through the Weka container, right through the agent, right out to the cluster, and performance is incredible. Uh, Bob's your uncle. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think we hit 139 gigabytes a second off a six-node yeah. cluster. Yep, and uh, we off were six-node we cluster. To, yeah, we were playing with a wow. it was 200 gigs, but we were playing with. Uh, uh, we had multiple. We could have done a little bit better, but we were running this on a system that had two AMD chips processors. Uh, and and jo Josh actually is the one who made. Uh, um, Josh is the one who figured out how to set up the uh, the actual configuration for that. So there's a way to do it now. We have a better better understanding of it. So yeah. you did that in, in OCI, where you yes. got it up, and you got it to full performance across the dual chip by making it look like two separate servers. Exactly. Yeah. And then the only so it's, again, it's using three containers. So one container dedicated to each of the uh, of the sockets, and only using the network cards, memory, and CPUs in those sockets. And then another container that hosts the front end cores. And those front end cores span both sockets. Yep. And what's if, interesting if about this is that it's not just the server that we're doing that. This was actually a converged workload. So that's but why his, there's that one. His server was interesting because I, I think we need, if we're going to get another one, we got to look at it because what happened is his had the drives in uh, NUMA 0, 1, and 2, and then had the network cards in NUMA 3. Ooh. Yeah, so it made it really interesting. So if we can't, I we want to have if a that's just. I wonder if that's just where it's the, the NICs were physically placed. I think they it, were. It had to do with traces. It's CPU, tra it's motherboard traces. Yeah. The way they had it designed, they, I believe we had, uh, let's see, we had eight drives off of controller or off of CPU one, and we had the other four drives off of uh, CPU two, and then all the PCIe lane back end was off of uh, uh, CPU one. So or CPU two, I guess. So yeah. it, it, they would we even with dual hundred gig cards, we we were unable to. Everything had to cross over the infinity fabric, and that's that's where it. Was yep, that's where it kills you. And, and yeah. So, yeah. If, when we when you get the new one, we have a couple of different architectures you look at where they have the two core, the two CPUs, and everything's balanced. You have one card on one, one card on the other, and the drives are half and half, and that's that's the sweet spot, right? It's a yeah, nice balanced great. workload. Yeah, not having to cross two or infinity fabrics and a Northbridge, or single have, core. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, single so uh, single socket. Woohoo! We're all Job over done. that. Job done. But yeah, nope. it's, it's that extra hop and that that latency that is incurred. That just kind of yeah. 
slows things down just a little bit. And that assumes the motherboard is designed in such a way that you can place the cards and the drives off of the different sockets. So the, the motherboard has to be designed yeah. properly to make yeah. your your dual dual socket, dual container, or multi-container work. So, and so we, we have a couple of uh, Supermicro that work that way. Uh, and then we have, there was an R640 that was made for us um, that, that was... Uh, was a keystone i believe it was called that was specifically that way they had one card six drives one card six drives or one card five drives one card five drives it was great balance configs just seems like i mean if you're designing the motherboard and you've got you know x number of pcie lights coming from each socket and coming from north bridges etc it seems like it would just behoove you to try and make things as even and fair and balanced as possible so you never come into a situation where, well, I'm using four of my five expansion slots and literally all of them go to a single socket to be served by one. But then all of my drives are, are now serviced by a different CPU. Like, why would you want to your like force your workload to cross sockets quite so much instead of having everything just funnel into directly where it's being computed and uh, serviced by? Seems like it yeah. makes sense. I don't know. Perhaps I've, I've never designed a motherboard, so perhaps that's a significant challenge that I am assuming is easy to do because it has to be. Weird. Easy. Come on. Weird first tech job. I actually did QA on uh, circuit boards. That was a nice. fun one. When I was tracing, I had to trace the lines and find where the, the uh, put a, uh, what's it called? A transistor or resistor on backwards, which would cause everything to fail. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> also taught me that I never wanted to be an engineer. Because that was a horrible job. <laughs> I, I, I like OS is much better. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> OCD is not that strong, Bob. No. Okay. It was, it was also midnight to 8 a.m., which was also a horrible part of it. Oh. That's, oh. A, that's a whole different problem. Ooh. How are yeah. you supposed to be that, like, focused and, like, capable of doing, you know, kind of very detail-level work at O-Dark 30? Mountain, Mountain Dew and coffee. Fair enough. Not Mountain yeah. Dew, not, not Jolt? No, I was uh, I was not a Jolt fan, but yeah. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Interesting. So, so the the Tyler, we you know you and I met basically working on a weird little project of building a cluster to hand over to some other guys to play with, and so you you want to talk about that because that that relationship came from you guys. Yes, we we have done some different projects originally uh, with with Linus Tech Tips and other uh, we, you know we're trying to target brand recognition so. Um, Linus is good for that. Is really, those guys are, are really good. They get a lot of eyeballs. And so they have done petabyte projects before where it was hard drives. And we were like, hey, can we do something crazy? And they're like, sure, yeah, let's do an all PCIe 4.0. And so we pitched like, hey, let's do one PB of PCIe Gen 4 and used our 15 terabyte CD6 drives, which are our kind of data center value uh, drive not our highest performance, but they're they're actually the the read speed is incredible on them. So I really like those drives, and so we we were like, all right, so what do we do? We we're trying to figure out software, trying to figure out you know, okay, who can we get hardware from? So we talked to Supermicro, talked to AMD, and they said, okay, hey, we can supply some hardware, and we wanted something fun as a workload, so we wanted a, a cool front end, and. So we reached out to our, our partners at NVIDIA and said, hey, guys, you know, what do you think? And they're like, oh, we can do that, but you need some GPUs. You need, you know, what can we use to drive this big of a cluster? And we, we couldn't really get like 10 GPU boxes. So they were like, how about a, a DGX? 
And so <laughs> we talked to Supermicro and they're like, we have a version of the DGX that is, they, they refer to it as an HGX, but it's functionally uh, eight A100 GPUs stuffed into one box. It has 10 uh, networks, network card slots. So it's 10 by 16 slots. The two wow. on the front are usually used for storage and the eight on the back are generally used for GPU to GPU for clustering these boxes. We only had one, so we're like, okay, we're going to cheat. And so we stuffed the back end full of 200 gig network cards and connected it straight to the storage. So the GPUs are right, like directly connected through the Infinity or through the uh, NVIDIA fabric. Yeah, that's the back end NVIDIA fabric directly connected. We were doing Ethernet too, weren't we? We were. Uh, I know a lot of deployments are in Finnevand. and, and I have, you know, a few axioms on, you know, never bet against uh, Ethernet. <laughs> I, I know it's like we've had all these other things that have tried to challenge Ethernet. And it's like, just just never bet against Ethernet. Uh, it's just so, so moddable. So, like, you can build so much on top of Ethernet. Like, it's it's come a long way from from the fast Ethernet days of half duplex 10, 10 megabit. God, yeah. <laughs> yes. A long, in a, in a, in a word, long yes. way. <laughs> the, the part that I, takes I mean, a lot. The part that takes a lot, though, is being able to um, uh, get enough channels filled to get that performance, right? Because if you only have like a single stream, you're still locked down to a single problem. So that's why it's fun to work with these cool, you know, applications like we're looking at that allows us to run multi-stream and be able to pull that data across that, that network at full speed, full steam. Sure. Oh yeah, so the way it's set up, and each video card is able to functionally act as its own processor for for that workload, and each one it's it's kind of in pairs, so it's two cards and two GPUs, and the way the box is designed, and so we I every NIC had a separate IP, and the the GPUs would directly reach out through the network, and so they're pulling in data, and it's an insane box because there's there's 640 gigabytes of video of GPU based ram not there's two terabytes in the box but the gpus it's 80 gigs per gpu at a gpu 640 gigabytes of video ram and so it could pull in as much i mean it was the pull in as much as it could and it it was we were cranking through frame rendering we were doing like 90 90 some odd gigabytes a second weren't we it was 90 gigabytes a second rendered meaning it came in and was rendered in a second oh that's not just the GDSIO, I'm I'm running just like some FIO style IO oh, that was actually was like, doing that, work. That was close to yeah. 140 on on that. But when you're talking about actually rendering the the, the each frame of this, it's, we did a three dimensional NASA demo of uh, that they essentially used a supercomputer to build a, a demo of landing humans on Mars and what it will take, the retro rockets, everything that it will take with all of those data points, and then they used. Because even NASA scientists cannot look at a giant pile of data and be like, oh, this is what it needs to look like. They wanted to render it into a, a video. And so, but it's not really a video. It's it's a three-dimensional model that yeah. simulates live what the actual landing is going to look like. So you can rotate around three dimension. You can zoom in into details of like rocks on Mars and the landscape of Mars. You can zoom into the different parts of the lander. It's a full 3D model that's a as a video so it steps through that so it has to render all of that uh, all of those data points and each frame frame is 13.8 gigabytes 
each. So each frame render. So we were rendering it six frames a second. And you go six frames a second, that's, you know, insane. But it's two Blu-rays a second. Or sorry, two Blu-rays a frame. <laughs> so you're, you're <laughs> right. So you're rendering 12 Blu-rays a second. Uh, that's that's a pretty impressive render workload. <laughs> sounds like a lot of pixels, a lot of ray tracing, a lot of. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of. Oof. Wow. Cool. So, uh, that's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it was fun to watch. I mean, I think that just seeing the flames render was always fun to watch. I look like a little umbrella of flames coming off the bottom of that thing. I really love playing with uh, the the GP Direct stuff. I've been doing it for a while, and it, it's nice to see actually a use for it and where we can see it properly. Yeah, it's good to see the, the maturity of of that protocol coming in and, and actually being used and sort of realizing the capabilities of the GPUs, not just to do sort of computationally expensive workloads where you're you know offloading from what normally a CPU would do instead of having this you know massively parallelized uh, you know GPU capable of doing you know, much much faster work at you know single floating point or half floating point kind of uh, accuracy, um, but like actually doing like really useful and like data intensive work. It's really really we're we're living in the future at this point. I think that's going to be the direction of many applications. I think we're going to see more and more offload and it's going to cease to be offload. It's going to be the CPU does data management and or process management and you bring your workloads off and on, but it wouldn't surprise me to see more and more workloads move entirely to GPU. And the more we can get the CPU out of the way because the, the CPU, you know, the CPUs are great. They can do everything, but most of the workloads we do are very, very specific. And we're seeing servers more and more specific for use cases. There's even, I know some of the what, hyperscale have custom design. They even they post on there, you know, about custom design hardware for different things. So the, the servers are getting more specialized for certain use cases. And the more we can just kind of make that like CUDA or TensorFlow or whatever and use those GPUs to actually run the workload versus CPU, we can get more efficiency and mm -hmm. having to getting more out of each server, even if it's a slightly more expensive server, if I can get three times the work out of it, okay, that's, that, that starts to make sense. And having GPUs able to access the storage directly um, is is great but then you run into i can only fit so many drives per server now i've got to get it from somewhere so it that's why i, I really like the weka solution for uh gpu direct cool i don't know josh you got anything else you want to chat with tyler about i mean it's uh we've had a geek fest for a little while here no i was just gonna start talking about how it seems like gpus are now finally like the actual proper like successor to the math coprocessor yep Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to see the GPUs really are taking over the world. We, we see them all the time, and it's uh, we need partners like you to be able to build clusters that give us the ability to feed those <laughs> GPUs at full speed, right? Exactly. It's fun, it's fun to do, man. I mean, it's, I love seeing 160 gigabytes a second. I love seeing, you know, renders happen almost at real time. And uh, it's it's uh, it's like the fruition of that old days when I used to build stuff on my Apple IIe and I would watch those little lines go across the screen to create a, a, a high-res file, a high-res image. And now seeing it like in seconds, rendering a, you know, a rocket blasting through space with fire coming out of the cone all in seconds. I'm, I'm just thinking, wait for Gen 5. Like once we get Gen 5, we can get some 400 gig 
Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go evil in the lab. I've already got a plan, and one of the, the projects I want to do is Gen Five Weka. Yeah. So oh, these yes. are our, we have our new CM7 drives. They're just blazingly fast, fourteen point two gigabytes a second of read. I mean, it's it's nuts per drive. So I'll be acquiring the correct equipment once this you know the server side CPUs are ready, getting the right. 400 maybe 800 gig networking whatever we need to make it work and then i'll come back to you guys and be like all right let's build something crazy so i'm looking forward to that that's gonna gonna be fun fun. (laughs) i want to i want to see some some really big numbers like you know that two terabyte number up in up in oci is that's a big number i want to see bigger numbers let's (laughs) let's go make bigger numbers i'm excited I'll, i'll see what i can do (laughs) <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Tyler, thank you very much for your time, man. I appreciate it, and then in your partnership, and look forward to building the next server with you. That'll be Absolutely. a lot of fun. Oh so. yeah, let's have some fun. Thanks for the invite, and it's been a pleasure being here. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thank so. you. And so, for cluster conversations. I'm Bob, and I'm Josh. Thanks we'll talk for, to you guys uh, next time. Bye.